Welcome to The Well. I'm Anson Mount. I am Brandon Edgens. And Brandon, have you ever played this party game? Um, no. Where? <laughs> let me ask the question Okay, first. go ahead. <laughs> where someone asks, if you could have dinner with one person, who would it be? Oh, that's a party game? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know your answer? Yes. Who would it be? Uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, that's, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I will ask you why after we listen to this episode. <laughs> what was yours going to be? Oh, mine was Bozo the I Clown. No, it's a hard question. <laughs> That's a good answer. But my, I don't know. I have so many. I would say Bob Dylan, but then I just uh, think he'd be a terrible, no, conversation. He's a terrible conversationalist. No, I wouldn't want to talk to Bob Dylan. Well, there, there's another part of my interview with Ileana Douglas from last week that I thought was worth hearing. It didn't quite fit in, but it's definitely a great piece of tape I wanted to play for people about. Ileana knowing exactly who that person would be and then realizing that it was actually going to happen. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's mainly, I mean, for women, I don't know what it is for men, but for women, it's mainly like, who were the famous people that you were with? And then we're going to sell the book on that, you know? Um, And I just felt, you know, like, God, I'm so... It's painful. Like, is that all you? Is that the only reason you bought my book? You know, I like. I actually feel as if I'm more than that. And didn't you read the chapter on Marlon Brando? Because again, the the chapter on Marlon Brando becomes pivotal in my own journey. Because I, at the time, uh, that's when I was uh, dating Martin Scorsese, and we'd been in a long-term, you know, relationship, and uh, we ha- were going to meet Marlon Brando, and I didn't want to meet him. I was like, I can't. I mean, posters on my wall, it's like, greatest actor ever, you know. He's it for me. He's the... He, Did you not want to do it because you thought it would ruin that, or I, you were I, yeah, too I afraid? Couldn't, I couldn't. I was literally shaking. I was like, oh, I wow. cannot meet... Marlon Brando like someone Mm -hmm. that meant that really between him and Montgomery Clift I feel like invented the method of which we are still working off of today it just seemed otherworldly just for whatever reason I didn't want to do it but but Marty you know was like oh he wants to meet me about a movie and you'll be fine it'll be fine and the night before we were going to meet uh, Brando and I was doing my own trajectory. I was doing like a low budget indie film called Wedding Bell Blues, and Marty's like at the height of his career. He was coming into L.A. to win the John Huston Humanitarian Award, you know. And I'm, and I'm in Las Vegas doing like a low budget movie, so I was like, oh, our lives seem to be uh, on different paths. <laughs> and he was staying at the Beverly Wilshire, so I can't, you know, I came in and the digs of the Beverly Wilshire, and again, it goes back to my childhood of like being impoverished and this idea of like is it good to have money is it bad to have money i i've never i've never kind of figured that all out and uh and that's you know in, as i said in, in my own journey and then you add into the mix marlon brando and he's there to meet marty he's not there to have me be this looky loo but marty was like he knows how much i love movies and i'm a historian it'll be good for me to watch and observe so the night so the night before when marty's got his humanitarian award we go and i i had been using collecting uh, autographs i had an autograph book and a journal because when i met roddy mcdowell and he and i became friends he said i'm going to meet a, a lot of interesting people you know i'm one of them and here's an autograph book <laughs> and start writing 
And so, because he had all these great books from his life. He said, just write things down, jot down who you meet, you know, you'll be surprised. And so I got into it, like, in a way that was like, oh, my God, I got my poem from Sean Penn. And this is, you know, Mm. and Mick Jagger did this doodle. And Mm. they became, like, obsessive for me. And as I write about in the book, you know, good, bad, whatever, just coming from my crazy childhood of not having anything and now having evidence, like, I've been in movies, there's proof. I had dinner with this person. (laughs) Like, this is Bernardo Bertolucci right there. He said blah, blah, blah about me. And so these books became really important to me. And I figured, okay, well, if I'm going to meet Marlon Brando, I know what I'll do. At least I'll have him sign my book. He'll he'll dig it. It'll be like, you know. And Marty's like, he's not going to sign your book. Don't ask him to sign your book. And I was like, he's got to sign the book. I'd show him every, you know. So we're going, we're you know bantering about this. Cut to that they hustle Marty out of this thing, and I left my book on the table. I couldn't believe it. And I said, oh my god, Marty, I left the book on the table. So we turned the car around. And the book was gone. It was gone. So I don't know what happened to it. Somebody took it. One day it'll be on eBay. Who knows? But the book was gone. And for whatever reason, just because of where I was in my life, great. He's the humanitarian. I'm doing a scale movie, you know, like (laughs) for artistic reasons. And the only proof I had that I met Bertolucci is gone. You know, like, you know, the only proof that I have. My life is so horrible. I have no proof now. Nothing. There is no internet. Yeah, this was before the internet. Yeah. So I am like devastated. And then Marty's upset because he he blames himself because they. Oh, this is what happens because he's uber famous and they hustle him out. Well, you got to go now. And they hustled him out of there. And I'm I'm trying. You know. And he's like, just hang on, just hang on. You know, hustling him mm-hmm. out. And through the hustling is how I forget it. So he feels bad. And now we get to the morning of Marlon Brando. I've cried like all night long. And now Marlon Brando's coming, you know, to the door and I could care less because I got nothing. I'm like, <laughs> I got no book. I'm like, great. I'm just going to be Martin Scorsese's like, I'll be like a nook of me. I'll just be like, <laughs> wear my hair long and I'm going to put a sweater on. And I remember I just put on like an old sweater and like a, you know, one of my little plaid schoolgirl things. I was like, I'm just going to be like a 60s, you know, girl <laughs> who just listens, who sits cross-legged and listens, you know. And this was going to be my mode until the door opened and then there was Marlon Brando. And I like, I literally was like shaking. I had never, he just had an aura about him. That was unbelievable. He he was wearing a crystal sapphire blue sweatsuit. <laughs> he was enormous. I was like, oh my God, I have never seen anyone so big in my life. And he said to Marty, uh, you know, I'm kind of concerned about how I look and my weight. I don't want to go downstairs. Can Is it okay if we order lunch here? And you know, Marty says, great. So I'm like, oh my God. And so he starts to walk through the door. I'm like, how's he gonna get through the door? <laughs> like, is he gonna get stuck through the door? So it's just like, you know, immediately takes on this panic. Like we hadn't expected him to be in the door, you know, come in the hotel room. So he's suddenly in the room and we're in a room. And you know how sometimes with a room, hotel room is like, okay, I thought this room was big. <laughs> suddenly it feels like, suddenly it feels like I can't breathe. There's no oxygen. There was like a French, 
There were two French provincial chairs. This is the Beverly Wilshire. And then like kind of a love seat, you know, because mm-hmm. it was a suite. It was like a little, but it wasn't particularly big. So Marlon sits on, he starts pulling all the cushions off of the couch, like my dog, or throwing the cushions on the floor. And then lying, he lays on the couch like a Persian king. And he's got the couch. Like, there's no... He takes one of the cushions and to prop himself up. Right. You know, this whole thing is crazy. And I'm like... And Marty's looking at me like, you might want to cancel our reservation. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll cancel the thing. So I'm, I'm in the other room and I'm like, ah, just breathe. Just don't... Like Marty said, don't be a phony. Don't talk about acting. You don't have the book. Be the listening girlfriend. You're like, you got this. You got this. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So I come, I come in and I'm like, you know... And I'm sitting there. I got my big. <laughs> I'm suddenly thinking, like, what am I wearing? Why did I wear this ugly sweat? Like, this is hideous. Like, what was I thinking? I look like a '60s schoolgirl, you know. And so they're talking, and as they're talking, Brando suddenly, you know, uh, he looks up at me, and he goes, "No, oh, is this your lady friend?" And I was just, I literally did like, <laughs> like, I was like, oh my God, I've lost my ability to talk. I was like, did I, did I just say something? You know, and Marty was looking at me like, Mr. Brando's looking at you. Like, talk to I was like, yes, uh, hi, nice to meet you. And so Marty kept trying to bring me into the conversation of, because they were talking about this project for John. It was a biopic, believe it or not, of John and Martha Mitchell. That's what they were going to talk about. So, Marty keeps trying to bring me into the conversation of like, you know, her grandmother was Helen Gayden Douglas and Nixon. And then and then I would be like, now speak, Ileana. And I'd be like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and then I would just be like, and then I'm looking at Brando, like politely looking at me to continue. And I'm like, I got nothing else. I'm like, you're Marlon Brando. I'm like, I was just trying not to have a heart attack. So anyway, I was like, they were literally both staring at me as my words suddenly trailed off into absolutely nothing. And I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. So at that point, I was just like, just, I give up. I, I got to try to find, I, and I was zoned out. I just literally was like, put my mind in somewhere else. And all of a sudden, Brando goes, he says, look down. And I, I'm like, who's he talking? Oh, he's talking to me. He goes, look down, look down right now. Look at your feet. And it's like, see my feet like this? He goes, your feet, they're, they're pointed towards each other. He goes, you know what that is? It's a sign of insecurity. He goes, now tell me, why should you be insecure? And it was suddenly like, oh my God. And they're like, you know, Mar- like Marty's letting him talk. Like there's dead silence. Like, why should I be insecure? Okay, all right. Okay, Mr. Brando, I'm going to show you. I'm not. So all my weird emotion of losing the book and all this kind of stuff and Marty saying, don't be a phony and my heart is racing and I lock eyes with Marlon Brando and something happens and I just go, Sanford Meisner, just live within the given truthful circumstances. (laughs) You know, it just went through my mind. I'm like, I'm in a scene with Marlon Brando. And so I said, well, Mr. Brando, I think I am insecure. And I said, because I said, you know, everything I am or want to be is because of you. And I start doing my whole thing about, you know, when I was a kid, I looked at a poster of you that was on my wall and I thought someday that I'll be, you know, and I start doing this. And as I tell the story, I'm fucking bawling. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And 
and uh, all of a sudden I look at Brando and we're locked in this thing and it's like Marty suddenly goes away and then suddenly like Brando is crying because I'm talking about how much he's meant to me and he's crying and he goes my god Marty, she's a tuning fork. Now I'm crying. And then he like, starts bawling. And then I'm bawling. And then all of a sudden, then Marty jumps up. And he starts crying. And he goes, Marlon, Marlon, it's all my fault. You see, she had this autograph book. And she was going to get your autograph. And then we, you know, and it's all my fault. And they're hustling out of me. You know, and suddenly, like, all three of us are, like, weirdly crying. You know, this crazy thing. Right, right. And I'm in the French prison. Marty comes behind me. He's trying to calm me down. And he's crying. Man, let me get a Kleenex, you know. So we cried for like five minutes, all of us crying. And he handed the thing to Brando. And it was like suddenly after that was all over, we were all so hungry. And then it, you know, it led into this uh, him, you know, ordering lunch. And then we had lunch and then the lunch went to dinner. And then it was like he didn't leave till it was like two o'clock in the morning. Wow. It turned out like, you know, sitting on the it was like everything you want, you know, mm -hmm. sitting on the floor, drinking wine and talking about Marilyn Monroe. And it was crazy. It was like absolutely personal things, women, our relationships, his relationships, his father. It just like things got really deep, you know, post the crying. And again, very much like the Lee Marvin, it was after this Brando experience that again, it was this like, oh, whenever you're not yourself, things don't go right. But whenever you are yourself, even if you're crying, even if it's messy, even if it seems stupid and embarrassing, that seems to be the person that everybody really cocks their head and says, I like that person. You should be that person mm -hmm. all the time. And again, there was like this, you know, I was going to be like, Anuka Me, the great listening. I was like, oh, this Brando, it'll kill him. He'll love it. I'll be like this beautiful listening girlfriend. I'll never talk, you know. Well, it seems that that's probably the same, the same lesson, the, well, the, the same moral lesson that informed you in making the decision, no, this is not going to be a, a tabloid. Right. This is going to be me, and here's me. Yeah, but as I said, it took years of, like, other people, and that was, again and again, as I write in the book, I had to, I finally gave up beating myself. I was like, if they keep seeing something in me, and so I'm not going to fight it anymore. If they see something in me, even though I don't see it in myself, even though I don't believe in myself, if Marlon Brando believes in me, then I'm not going to let down Marlon Brando. And that's the only way that psychically I could continue. I'm going to add uh, a story. Oh, great. But because it was about being tongue-tied in the presence of your hero. I grew up hero-worshipping Rick Baker, who's a special effects makeup oh, yeah, artist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's so great that they invented the Oscar for makeup effects for him for American Werewolf in London. And then he won, like, I don't remember the number. It's like eight or 12 Oscars. And then basically kind of retired the category around the same time he did. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, well, if he's gone, then what's the point in this award anymore? Uh, so I, you know, growing up from like eight, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, uh, I just hero worship Rick Baker. I just like, just 
peered over everything he did with a magnifying glass and couldn't figure out how he did it. Turns out that even today, people, the professionals are still, he's, he still has that, that, uh, that sort of shine to him. Uh, he's a genius. He did Harry and the Hendersons. He did, uh, he won an Oscar for that. Uh, most people remember him for the thriller video with Michael Jackson, of course, American Werewolf in London. He did all the aliens for men in black. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's amazing. And, uh, this is a while ago, like five, six years ago. This is a really weird event. Mac Cosmetics. Uh, it was a publicity thing for Mac Cosmetics. And they invited Rick Baker uh, to New York. And they made this big event at the Angel Orenstein's Theater. You know where I'm talking about? Lower East Side. It's an old sort of run-down church, a little cathedral. Mm. Um, it's kind of beautiful in its decay. And they have, uh, you know, they would have live music there. It was turned into a venue. Mm. And, but they had done this place up so well for this event. It was one of the nicest events I've ever attended. And I didn't know what I'm walking into. I just knew Rick Baker's going to be there. So I walk into these front doors and instantly I'm underdressed. First of all, everyone is dressed awesomely. It's like a ball. And uh, someone hands me a champagne flute. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what the hell? You know, this is not what I was thought I was coming into. And looked up, and they had actually, in the candelabras that they have spaced throughout the thing, real candles. The whole place is lit with candles. It's beautiful. And up on the, uh, well, what do you call it? The altar, you know, the little raised area. There's a table with some mirrors and stuff set up and, you know, and then everyone takes their seat in a, in their pews, right? Like it's church. <laughs> and they introduce Rick Baker. And I realize immediately that most of these people are like beauty makeup artists. They do like fashion stuff. Like they're not prosthetic people uh, that know the whole process like I did. But then this the strangest thing happens. He comes out and he says, I'm going to... Uh, demonstrate these these makeups, new makeups from uh, Mac, and I can tell he's kind of weirded out too because he's like, "What? This is weird. Y'all gonna watch me put makeup on myself for however long it takes to?" Okay, <laughs> and he and he, he he talks a little bit about the uh, the famous monsters cover that he's referencing when he does his his makeup, and then what happens next? I swear it's two over two hours of people sitting silently. Shipping, sipping their champagne, watching Rick Baker apply makeup to himself, and mostly not saying anything. And they're playing like a weird, like Halloween sound effects soundtrack over the whole thing. So it's like cat screeching and like ghost sounds and that kind of thing. Right, <laughs> it has nothing to do with what he's doing. And he's and they and it's very well set up. They have a, a, a two way mirror. He's doing the makeup. There's a camera on the other side and these big high-definition monitors set up throughout the space so you can see in detail what Rick Baker is doing to his face with his paintbrush. And also what becomes apparent is that Rick Baker doesn't really know anything about MAC Cosmetics. And uh, he's like, I'm just going to grab this because it's black and that's what I need right now. And he would do some work. And, and he's transforming himself and his face is a work of art by the end of this thing. It looks amazing. I can't even describe it. It's this very colorful, ghoulish sort of thing. And uh, he's like, well, I'll be right back. and do some finishing touches. And he goes back behind the thing. He takes, he has, he has a very long white ponytail. And he takes the, the, 
the binder, uh, what should I say, the scrunchie. <laughs> it's not a scrunchie. <laughs> he takes the rubber bands out of his thing, lets it flow. Now he's got a big mane of white hair. He puts in the prosthetic rotten teeth and some sclera lenses, and he comes out and poses, and everyone claps. And like, wow, oh, my God, it's awesome. <laughs> It's a weird show, right? It's just the so guy you've putting just makeup seen on the himself. maestro at work. Yeah, you just seen the the, the and and then he, people ask him questions, and they're all dumb questions because they're not makeup effects people. It's like you know, like right. what do you enjoy the most about my cosmetics? And he's like, um, I just grab usually what's closest to me. Uh, this seemed to be the right color. I don't know anything about uh, brands. Sorry, that question. <laughs> and then somebody says, uh, What would you call this? This, this this style of of makeup that you just performed for us and he's like um i don't know like some old guy with with shit on his face <laughs> <laughs> he, he's so it's, it's awkward he's not a performer but uh so anyway i'm i am so i i gave up I, I, before this i had i had i didn't think i was going to be a special effects makeup artist at this time i'd kind of given up on that track you know a good 10 years earlier so i thought well i, I can be cool you know i was he was my childhood hero not my current hero i can do i can go talk to rick baker so i'm getting closer and closer people are doing sort of like meet and greet and afterwards walking up to him and talking to him i remember he's still painted completely he's still got his face is all covered in paint i think he's taking the rotten teeth prosthetics out and I'm getting closer and closer, and other people are walking or talking to him. Some people seem maybe like old acquaintances, some maybe not. And he's just shaking hands and meeting people. And then I, I'm about twenty steps away from him, and I'm like, "All right, here's my end. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go." And I start walking towards him, and every step I take, I go back in time a year. <laughs> and so by the time I get to him, I am fifteen years old again, and I can't talk. And I walk, I go to him and like shake his hand. I'm like, hey, my name's Brandon Edgens. I, when I was a kid, I did everything that you did. I watched everything you did, everything. And the, the thriller video, I wore that out. I magnifying glass and I was watching every, I couldn't find latex, you know. <laughs> and and I, he was so, I could see his demeanor changed. And he turns towards me and <laughs> I can't really talk. And he leans over and he puts his hand on my shoulder and kind of squeezes it. And he's like, Take your time. Take your time. <laughs> and that's when I know I must be blowing it, right? Because when someone does that to you, you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm clearly fall I'm falling apart at the seams right now. And he just puts his hand on my shoulder. And I'm realizing, like, oh, of course, this is Rick Baker. He has to occasionally deal with this. <laughs> Not a lot. But there's a certain, like, subcategory of, like, uh, makeup, special effects makeup fiends like me that were experimenting in their backyard with plaster and clay and trying to figure out how it was done and that was their whole life their, their, their entire you know, formative years mm -hmm. and he was their hero right. and he clearly was like everything else he had to talk to everyone with a sort of a professional sort of like well it's nice to meet you maybe you know if you have questions you can talk to my agent blah 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 and then I start talking to him it's like oh it's one of these kids <laughs> <laughs> He's 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 temporarily insane for a second, <laughs> and then uh, this is the this is the really sad part. I'm like, okay, I've wasted enough of your time, which is probably like 15 seconds, and uh, I'm like, uh, just want a picture. So I hand my iPhone to this guy. I'm like, take a picture of me, Rick Baker. 
the guy doesn't know how to operate an iPhone. So after a couple of like, <laughs> after a couple of like, let me see it. Uh, no, that's not it. That's a picture of our feet. Uh, let's try it again. You know, no, no, that's blurry. That's just lights and stuff. Come on, man. And he's like, I don't know really how to use this thing. And now I'm taking up Rick Baker's time and I feel terrible. And he's, he has his arm around me and I have my arm around him. And this is the only picture that I want. And I can't get it because of this idiot who can't figure out an iPhone. And then I, I, I give up. I'm like, I can't. I can't hold Rick Baker hostage any longer. So I walked out of it and that's all I've got. Oh. Uh, these pictures of like our feet and like <laughs> a picture of the lights and some blurry thing that you can sort of see Rick Baker. You can see Rick Baker's making a face. He's like, he's making a big garish sort of face, but I'm not really in the shot. It's like there's sort of a smeared out of focus blur of his face. He's making a big dramatic thing. I'm like, well, that would have been cool. <laughs> But it didn't matter. I got, I got, I got to shake the maestro's hand at least, and yeah. and communicate to him in a way that was honest too. Because like, I if I had been super cool about it, like uh, Ileana was saying, like I'm just going to be like a pro and walk up there and be like, hey man, nice work. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're a you're you're an inspiration. Thank you very much. You know, no, he saw. He saw yeah. the, tr- the the fandom in me. I was well, it would have I, I been disingenuous shaking. if you'd done that. Yeah, right? I, and he saw the real thing. I was up there shaking and like uh, I can. I, I, yeah, I mean, this was the my god for like ten years. You know what we forgot to do? What? We, you didn't even tell me why Leonardo da Vinci would be your dinner guest. Oh, um, I think he would be a very good talker. He had he had a certain flamboyance. Uh, so I think he could really just sort of talk and he could sit there and listen, mm-hmm. even though I don't speak Italian. Um, but more than that, I mean, who who wouldn't want to meet the guy that foresaw so much mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, as they say the, he's the man who woke up in the dark, you know, in the Middle Ages when it was so full of superstition. And there's this guy who somehow uh, was at, lived outside of all that superstition, unafraid to explore the human body scientifically to explore the universe to explore everything that his eyes fell upon he dissected fearlessly without these worries about well what if god is upset if you do that you know because everyone else was why wasn't he can i come to the dinner party sure can you speak italian (laughs) someone has to translate The Well is produced, recorded, and edited by Brandon Edgens and myself, Anson Mount. Theme music by Jonathan Myberg. The track you're currently hearing is Idle Eyes by the Paul Beasy Trio. Special thanks again go out to Ileana Douglas for taking the time to sit down with us. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts so that you can get new episodes of The Well automatically. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>